Hey, everybody. Join us as we delve into our favorite dark tales and paranormal mysteries. Venture with us beyond the safe places that exist in daylight as we go Beyond Beyond the the shadows. Shadows. True crime. Paranormal. Hauntings. UFOs. Cryptids and unsolved mysteries. Conspiracy theories. Past lives. Reincarnation. And all the like are just a few of the topics that we will tackle. If it haunts your fucking dreams, then it will be on our show. Hi, and welcome back to Beyond the Shadows, episode 42. Welcome back, shadow people. Uh, so there is a story that came out about a week ago. I'm sure you've all seen it. It's been all over the news. Uh, so the uh, the couple honeymooning in Colorado. Yeah, on uh, a, they're out on a train ride. Yep. And uh, they see a little something out their window. Yeah. So it's, uh, if you haven't seen it yet, it's some pretty good Bigfoot footage. Uh it, it you know either it's a dude in the suit or it's straight up a Sasquatch. Absolutely. You one, know, at one point it looks like he even stops and takes a dump. <laughs> that looks like when he's, it's like he's dropping a deuce yeah, at the he's, end. He's but, either hiding or he's taking a dump. But he had enough class to do it down behind bushes. Right. So at least he hid. He's self conscious. <laughs> <laughs> Would have been better if he waved at the. Train he's down low enough. It's probably going to get all tangled up in that bigfoot hair. <laughs> That's why they smell so bad. <laughs> so uh, Shannon and Stetson Parker were on their tenth wedding anniversary, taking the train ride. They took a bunch of stills of uh, of the incident, and uh, a guy named Brandon from Florida, he didn't say his last name, actually shot the video, but everybody agrees that the creature was about seven foot tall. Uh, it looks like classic Bigfoot, but again, like like most of the footage we talk about, it's just far enough away where... Yeah, it's not like, they're not right up next to it. No, I it's, mean, it's good footage, but it's so far away, it could, is it plausible that it's a guy in a suit? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. it totally could be. But if it's not, it's super impressive it's, footage. Yeah, it's very impressive footage. I mean, it looks like it could be a Bigfoot. It also looks like it could be in a somebody in a big saggy, yeah. hairy suit. But it's out on the, like the mountainside with all the the, like, the dark colored bushes or whatever. So he blends in perfectly with those. If, I, the, if it wasn't moving, I wouldn't have seen the it. The camouflage is perfect. That's Absolutely. what makes you want to think it's real because if you just picked up a costume, the odds of it matching the terrain around it are yeah. way less. But it, it when it squats down, it's hard to see. Very. If it wasn't moving, I wouldn't have spotted it. No, no, for sure. So if you guys haven't checked that out, definitely check it out and see what you think and write in and let us know what you yeah, think. Yeah, tell us what you think because this is an interesting one. If yeah. this is real Bigfoot footage, it's it's great. It's very good. Very good footage. Yeah. I mean, I, w- I would really like to know how far it is from civilization. I know they're on train tracks. I would like to know yeah. how far away it sits Like, because someone could be trying to play a prank. But who's going to hike 20, 30 miles into the woods yeah, to play a prank? I'm not familiar with So the train ride was in Colorado. The The route was between Durango and Silverton. I'm not familiar with the area. So anybody who is, let us know Yeah, and that part of how the, uh, desolate. Yeah, that part of Colorado is really arid too. So it's, yeah. it's not trees and all that stuff. It's actually like field grass, like tall grass and bushes and stuff like that. But yeah, 
be interested to know how far away from everything that was. Yeah. That would give it more credibility to me, you know. But anyway, so uh, this week's story, what are you doing, Ryan? So I'm going to do the Hinterkaifeck murders from uh, Germany there uh, during the 20s, and it's a, it's a creepy case. There's a lot of weird elements going on in this one. I wasn't familiar with this one, actually, until I started doing some research. I nice. It's one of those ones you stumble on by accident while researching something else. Yeah, I like the ones that and aren't. And then you change your mind, and you're like, no, I'm yeah. going to do this. Instead. I like the ones that aren't crazy popular and yeah. ain't been overdone too much, so that's good. I, I haven't heard of this. So. so that's what we're going to do. Be right back with the Hinterkaifeck murders. So 100 years ago, on March 31st, 1922, an unknown crazed intruder committed six murders on the farm of Andreas Gruber in Hinterkaifeck, Germany. The identity of this brutal killer remains unknown to this day. The Grubers lived in a small farmstead surrounded by forests that lie between two Bavarian towns. The farm lay about 40 miles away from Munich. The family consisted of 63-year-old Andreas... 72-year-old Kazilia, their widowed 35-year-old daughter Victoria, and Victoria's two children, 7-year-old Kazilia, like the grandmother, and 2-year-old Joseph. Wow, you nailed all those. It's amazing. I, I hope I did. <laughs> <laughs> if I fucked any of those you did. up, write in and let us know at beyondtheshadows206 <laughs> at gmail.com. <laughs> Unfortunately, the family was not held in high regard in, in neighboring communities due to reports of incest. Andreas had been sentenced to a year in jail for incest with his daughter, Victoria, who was also sentenced to a month in jail herself. Her son, Joseph, was reported to have resulted from this incestuous relationship. As a result of the scandal, the family didn't venture into town very often, so it wasn't strange for them to not be seen for several days. Usually it was only Victoria and her seven-year-old daughter who went into town when necessary. In September 1921, the family's maid quit. Uh, so this is about six months before. The family's maid quit because she believed the farm to be haunted. She heard voices and footsteps coming from the attic on multiple occasions. So did other members of the household. But when Andreas searched the attic, no one and nothing was found. She believed something supernatural was happening at the farm and she could no longer live there for, for the fear she felt. Andreas told others that he did not believe her story, but later admitted that in the following months, he also heard the noises in the attic. He never found anything and refused any offers of help in, in determining what was occurring. He also unfortunately declined their neighbor's offer of borrowing a firearm with which to protect the family. In late March of 1922, a snowstorm hit the region and blanketed the farm in snow. Andreas was shocked to see a set of footprints in the snow that led from the forest up to the barn's machine room. He now thought back to the machine room's lock having been broken several weeks prior. Not thinking much of it at the time, he hadn't yet got around to replacing it. Now it appeared someone may have been staying in there. He searched the machine room and didn't find anything. He then searched the rest of the barn and again turned up nothing. Finally, he searched the house one more time from top to bottom and did not find an intruder. Still, it was impossible to shake the fact that the tracks in the snow only led to the farm and not away from it. 
only a few days later. And, and when this is happening, they're hearing footsteps in the attic. All the same time, yeah. So so they think there's a ghost, but there's also possibly somebody in the house. Yeah, it's entirely possible they would be in frogged as a modern modern word for people that are staying in your house, which is a scary phenomenon. People do that. That It's just insane. And I guess they call it frogging because they hop from place to place and do this. But that frogging is when somebody stays in your house without you knowing that they're there, they're there. And it's apparently not that unusual, but it's creepy as shit to think like you're sleeping at night. Someone's up in your there's attic. somebody in your attic or wherever. Uh, this could be one of those cases. And then again, it, it could be a haunting. It's hard to say on this one because he has searched the house top to bottom on several occasions. Even after hearing the footsteps, he's gone directly up to the attic only to find nothing. So this person's either really hiding well. Yeah, because usually you'd find something left behind yeah, or something. He doesn't say anything about like finding cigarettes or food or anything like that up there. So, hmm. So only days later, Andreas found a newspaper lying in the snow by the barn. Back then, newspapers were sold by subscription, and this wasn't one the family bought. He mistakenly assumed that the postman must have dropped it by accident, but in hindsight, that was not the case. No one in that vicinity or even on the postman's route subscribed to that newspaper. Neighbors later reported that the family had mentioned several missing house keys that disappeared around this time. It had also been mentioned that a stranger with a mustache had been seen hovering around the woods near the farm. So he's not on the farm, but he's awfully close. On that same Friday, March 31st, 1922, 40-year-old Maria Bumgartner worked her very first day as the new maid for the Gruber family. Unfortunately, it would also be her last day on earth. Her sister had dropped her off at the farm that afternoon, and she later reported all was fine when she left. The next day, Hans and Edward Skorovsky, two coffee salesmen, visited the farm, and no one came to answer the door for their knocks. They found that strange since smoke was flowing from the chimney. They then walked around the property but noticed nothing amiss, although they did note that the gate to the machine house was open. They then left the property confused. That week, seven-year-old Kazilia Gabriel was absent from school without a reason being provided. The family was also missed at church. Neighbors began to notice that the mail was piling up. On April 4th, Albert Horner arrived at the farm to rep repair a piece of equipment in the farm's machine room. No one answered his docks, knocks, and he waited for over an hour. He saw that the barn was locked and could hear the family dog barking from inside. The machine room was unlocked, so finally he went to work on the engine without having seen anyone. The only sounds he reported during his work were the sounds of the farm animals. His work took him four to four and a half hours. When he was finished up and leaving, he noticed that the barn door was now open and the dog was tied up outside, though he had not seen or heard anyone. Hmm. He went back to town and he reported his strange experience at the farm. Neighbor Lorenz Schlittenbauer arrived with two other men to look around and try to find the Grubers at about 3.30 on that same day. They found the farm to be strangely quiet and began to look around. When they first looked around the yard, they found nothing amiss. When they tried the house, they found all of the doors to be locked. Once they went inside the stables, their suspicions turned to horror. There they found the bodies of Andreas, Kazilia, Victoria, and the younger Kazilia. The bodies had been neatly stacked and covered over with hay. Realizing that young Joseph was not amongst the bodies in the barn, they gained entry to the house through a hallway that connected from inside the barn. 
Once they went into the house, they found the bloody bodies of Maria and young Joseph still inside his bassinet. Police were notified, but the closest department equipped to handle such a case was located in Munich, some 45 miles away. Inspector George Reingruber was sent out to the scene as quickly as possible. Unfortunately, word had spread throughout the town quickly, and before he arrived, the crime scene had been greatly compromised. There was no crime scenes back then, no, man. Everybody compromised. It was showtime when something yeah. happened. Everybody in the from the next town over to that whole town or in there it's looking like a mor- at everything. Morbid curiosity. It just drove everybody in. You know, they had to come see it, had to touch it, and oh, it if, didn't get locked down. It would yeah. still be happening today if people were allowed oh, to go sure. to crime scenes for sure. Uh, many people had come through and trampled the crime scene, as we just said. Schlittenbauer had actually moved the bodies into the house, claiming that he was trying to term- determine if they were still alive. Townsfolk had even cooked and eaten meals in the kitchen, which strikes me as just fucking weird. Wow. In any era, in any country, to like, at a crime scene. Like, you know what? I'm going to have a quick snack. You know, <laughs> cool. it's a party for everybody. Let's yeah. fucking cook up some fucking food and... Chill out and stare at the dead bodies, man. It's That's so creepy. weird. But, I mean, it wasn't to just that area. It was the whole world. Was oh, like no, this. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. People at times can just be creepy, but imagine stumbling into a crime scene like that. There's four bodies in the barn. There's two bodies in the house. The bodies from the barn have now been moved into the house. And at some point, somebody's like, you know what? I'm going to cook up some bacon and eggs. Who wants some? Like, I mean, at that moment, would you even be thinking about eating, let alone just cooking their food? And it's just weird. And the person to drag the bodies into the house. To see if they're alive? Yeah, I mean, you can, check you can just check them right on the spot you to see if they're the alive. Line. There's more to that guy, yeah. which we'll get to. All right. An autopsy was conducted the next day, and it was determined that all had been killed by blows from a mattock, otherwise known as a pickaxe. The cause of death in all six was blunt force trauma to the head. All appear to have been killed instantly except for young Kazilia. She had horrifyingly appeared to have survived for several hours. Her hands contained fistfuls of her own hair, which she appeared to be pulling out in clumps after being attacked and then witnessing the death of her family. She was also at the bottom of the pile of bodies in the barn. So on top of being attacked and hurt, she was probably physically stuck. Imagine the trauma she went through. Can't even describe the trauma she went through. So yeah, she was physically pulling out her own hair. So when they found her, she was deceased with the hair in her hands. Uh, Through their investigation and witness testimony, the police began to piece together a timeline of what likely happened. Maria was dropped off by her sister on the afternoon of March 31st, and all appeared fine on the farm at that time. The following day, the coffee salesman found no one home. The mailman stated that none of the mail had been picked up starting on Saturday morning, so they surmised that the murders occurred on Friday night. Each of the four family members found in the barn was thought to have been lured out one at a time. How or why they arrived at this conclusion isn't entirely clear, but my guess is maybe the thinking was that the single culprit wasn't able to subdue three adults at the same time, so he found a ruse to get them out one at a time. It was surmised that possibly the victims were called out of the barn in some sort of setup or a commotion was caused to begin to cause them to come out. However, it was later determined that voices from the barn could not be heard from within the living quarters. You know, you also said this. these were done with a pickaxe? Yeah. How hard is that as a weapon? 
I mean, a pickaxe is a big. Yeah, they're not. You know, you you could have swing that over your head to hit somebody. Yeah, with that's, one of that's those. not an easy thing. So to it has to be by surprise. Because yeah, I mean, if someone's I mean. standing in front of you, they're not going to get you with a pickaxe. You know, yeah. you're going to see that shit coming. So the the police didn't say why they arrived at this conclusion, but you can sort of see how they arrived at that conclusion. Because you got three adults and a kid in the barn at the same time. A pickaxe pickaxe is heavy. And wieldy to use. So by the time you've swung it at the first person, the rest have either jumped on you or they're gone. Right. Uh, yeah, there's no way you're using a pickaxe, three people all at the same time. No so I way. think you've either got a gang that kept them herded up. Because if it was a single individual, then that's not possible. Unless you get them out there one at a time. Shoot, man. I If you've ever swung a pickaxe. I have. They're tiring. Yeah. And they're not easy to hit the spot you're aiming for. Strange weapon of choice. It's thought... That the uh, pickaxe that he was using belonged to the family. It was not found at the crime scene. It was never recovered. Again, if that's the case, that's another strange case of somebody committing murder without having brought their own weapon. So maybe the plan wasn't murder from the get-go or it's just one of those creepy people that just assumes I'll pick it up when yeah, I get there. Just, you know, I don't. Weapon of choice is yeah. what I find laying around the house. Um, I lost my spot. So regardless, Victoria and Kazilia also showed signs of having been strangled before being struck with a pickaxe. Each had been struck more than once, but Victoria had actually been hit possibly as many as nine times. So maybe she was the target. It's hard to say. Yeah, that sounds like some serious anger there. The killer or killers then went into the house and attacked Maria, the maid, in her bed. Little Joseph was the last to die and was struck a single time, which caused his death. More disturbing still, it was clear that the the killer stayed on at the farm for close to a week after the murders. The animals had been fed, the cows had been milked, meals had been cooked, several witnesses had seen someone on or near the farm, and at that time it assumed that it was the Grubers. There had been smoke pouring out from the chimney all week, and someone had put out the dog only hours before the bodies were discovered when the guy was working on the the What is, I mean, you murder the whole family and then you do their chores. I know. You know, I mean, he's out there taking care of the animals. Obviously, he's got some sympathy for the animals, yeah. but obviously not for a baby that he murdered. Maybe somebody you know? thought he was going to get the farm. It's weird what this person's motives were. So he didn't just stick around amongst the bodies and cook some food. Then when the, the neighbors found the scene, they decided they'd cook up another <laughs> meal. No kidding. So weird. Love a good mystery that leaves you wanting more? Check out my podcast. Hi, I'm Kadra, the host of Perplexity, a Mystery Podcast. I tell tales every single week that have left me perplexed. You'll hear true crime cases, mysterious disappearances, learn about cults, hear baffling sightings of cryptids, chilling paranormal encounters, and even dark and weird history. I release new episodes every Wednesday, and you can listen anywhere podcasts are available. I'm also on Patreon, and you can even watch me on YouTube. Perplexity, a mystery podcast. Stories that will leave you perplexed. So it's very likely that while the neighbors were making their gruesome discovery, that the killer was still on the premises. Yet no one saw anyone or anyone leaving. Is it possible that they were still even there when the police arrived? It's possible. This person's a ghost. They know they're there, but he's never seen. Or she. Or maybe it's one of the neighbors. That's also a thought, too. 
Initially, robbery was assumed to be the motive, but upon searching the house, the police found a large amount of money inside. It's very unlikely the killer, who remained on the premises for more than four days, would have missed this. Michael Plocky told police that in driving by the barn the night of the murders, someone had blinded him with a lantern. He quickly continued on his way, but reported the smoke coming from the chimney of the farmhouse had a, quote, horrible smell. Uh, but none of the bodies were burned, so what he was burning is not known. Yeah, that's weird. Uh, I mean, that would make more sense if the bodies were missing. Then you'd think, okay, he was a sicko yeah, burning them up, but bodies were Trying to burned, get rid so of them, but no, he didn't even... Don't know what the horrible smell was. They never figured that out. The next day at about 3 a.m., butcher Simon Ryblander... I'm guessing I butchered that, but I don't know. Saw two mysterious figures near the woods in nearby Brunin when he was on his way home. Upon seeing him, he thought that they had deliberately turned their heads so as not to be seen. Once he heard about the mint of the murders at Hinterkaifik, he surmised that they were likely involved. One of the first suspects to emerge during the investigation was Lorenz Schlittenbauer. That was the neighbor and discoverer of the crime. After his wife died in 1918, he was rumored to have had a relationship with Victoria. He was also rumored to have possibly been the father of young Joseph. His mm -hmm. actions at the farm that day had been called into question. He had definitely moved the bodies around. He had claimed after finding the bodies in the barn that he had then entered the house via the connecting hallway. The others that were there said he actually entered via the front door of the house using a key. A key had recently gone missing. He also went in alone, knowing quite possibly the murderer was still on scene. When asked why he'd gone inside, he said he was looking for his son Joseph. He also gave young Joseph as his reason for having moved around the bodies. He couldn't find Joseph and thought that he might be beneath the others. Others that were there when the bodies were discovered also noted his total lack of emotion. Okay, so I'm just putting it together. The guy that the guy that hauled was pulling the bodies back into the house is the same neighbor that same neighbor that Joseph was probably his kid. Yeah. Okay. There's more to this, but uh, you know, so if he was looking for Joseph, that's a plausible reason for having moved the bodies, but not from the barn into the house. You can no. simply pull them off to the side and look. Uh, the little girl was at the bottom, so it's not impossible that the two-year-old child was hidden under the, the pile. I would have looked for him there, too, but I wouldn't have hauled him all around the yard, you know? Right. That's not overly plausible. And why did you say you went in via the hallway when the others say you went in via the front door? And lastly, why do you have a key to the house? Yeah, that's a good question. Nobody in the story ever covers him having been given a key by the family. But if he thought it was okay that he had a key, why lie and say you went up the hallway? The neighbors, the other people that were there are going to be like, dude, you didn't go through the hallway. So... Huh. He's telling lies for sure, but for what reason? Yeah, he could have just been trying to cover an affair, but... There's more. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> but the police did find it strange that he was now claiming to be Joseph's father when he had previously disputed it. He told them he sometimes questioned his paternity because of the incest allegations between father and daughter. During their investigation, the police discovered court records showing that Victoria tried to get the courts to mandate alimony payments from him. He was already known to be in financial trouble, and he had another family already. Could he have committed the murders to get out of these financial straits? Several witnesses told police they had seen an argument between Lorenz and Victoria about payments and paternity the very day of the murders. 
It was believed around town that Lorenz had never believed that he was Joseph's father, but only claimed to be now in order to gain a possible inheritance. He was never charged, but local suspicion remained on him for the rest of his life. A few years after the murders, he was seen on the farm by a local teacher. When asked why he was there, he gave a very strange answer about the killer's attempts to bury the family's bodies being thwarted by the frozen ground. Was this an admission or just a really awkward comment? He died in 1941, but in the years following the case, he filed suit several times for slander regarding the case, and he always came out victorious. I mean, if they don't have any proof. No, they don't, but it, it, it does, doesn't sound like slander. Like, I mean, he's, he's up to some oh, he's definitely weird shit. He sounds like he did this shit. So it was like two or three years later, he's just standing in the yard, and the neighbor's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, oh, well, that night the frozen ground prevented the bodies from being buried. Like, what? How would you know that? Yeah, no doubt. This part's even weirder. So another suspect was strangely Carl Gabriel, Victoria's husband, who had died in December of 1914 while stationed in France during the First World War. Or had he died? His body was never recovered, and some believed he had not died at all. It's speculated that he could have returned to the farm and murdered the family later on after learning that Victoria had conceived and given birth during his absence. There were also reports during World War II about a German-speaking Russian soldier who claimed to be the Hinterkaifer killer. He was said to have given early release to all the German prisoners. It was also said that Karl Gabriel had voiced an interest in going to Russia before the war. It should also be noted that the farm the family was on was not Andreas's, but Victoria's. She had inherited it from Karl when he died. There were stories that Karl had actually stopped living with his wife at the farm in the months before he went off to war because of a relationship with her father. He moved back with his parents before his deployment. Could he have escaped death and come back for revenge? Uh, for me, this theory is weak. Really weak. I mean, and he's still not known to be alive, you know? Like yeah, he I mean, he escaped the battlefields in France. Came back, murdered Came everybody, back, then murdered his disappeared family, then again? disappeared again. Uh, people around town claim they saw somebody in the years after that looked like him. But, I mean, this is just one of the – to me, it's just a very far-fetched – Every one of these stories, they claim they seen somebody in the woods that they didn't know. Yeah, but they all, claim they see everybody. All kinds of people hanging around in the woods. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so th there's really no corroborating evidence to this. I'm guessing he died in the war. The fact she didn't recover his body doesn't mean shit. There were all kinds of bodies during the oh, two world wars that weren't recovered. So many. But, but they didn't go home and kill their families. I mean, anything's possible, but for me, this one's a reach. Yeah. Um, I'm still going with the first one. If tales of ghostly hauntings, Bigfoot encounters extraterrestrial interactions, and cosmic awakenings are your cup of tea? Then join me, Eric Salagi, host of Uncomfortable Podcast, every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Make uncomfortable your home for the topics that reside on the fringe of our reality. Eyewitnesses, researchers, and experiencers, join me on a weekly basis to delve into their paranormal and otherworldly experiences. Heard in over 65 countries worldwide. Follow Uncomfortable Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your casts. 
Uncomfortable is now presented in video form on YouTube as well. So, as always, my friends, stay uncomfortable. Cresson's Riger, the family's maid who had quit six months previous, told police that a year previous, a man named Joseph Thaler had visited the farm, visited the farm during the night. He and his brother were known thieves and burglars. She claimed that he came to her window one night and after knocking, told her he wished to rob the farm and wanted to know where the family slept. I and mean, this guy's not very slick. Why don't you do your own research? <laughs> Excuse me, I'm about to rob you guys. Could you please tell me? So you have to assume that if she'd given him the information, she would have been dead anyway. You know what I mean? Because you've yeah. got a witness who gave it all up. There's no way she would have survived. Uh, she said she played dumb and did not answer his questions. She saw someone moving around behind him and believed it to be his brother. But it, was, it was nighttime. She just saw somebody but couldn't tell who it was. Yet he claimed to be alone. She then saw him walk away with another man and the two of them that just stood there staring at the barn. She also claimed that on another occasion, the brothers had actually been seen hiding in the barn and Andreas found them and chased them off with a rifle. The brothers appear at first glance to be strong suspects. However, they were known thieves, not murderers, and nothing was stolen in this case. So, I mean, at one point, you know, you've got them hiding in the barn. Right. What their attempt was there, I don't know. He found them, chased them off with a gun. They they voiced their intention to rob the farm. They don't sound like the brightest two bulbs on the tree, but no. no. But they they didn't take anything. No. So yeah, they were known thieves, and if yeah. if robbery was the motive, there was no robbery. So I, I'm you know, my gut tells me it probably wasn't these two. Hard to yeah, say. Yeah, I could see them being suspects, but. Yeah, the first guy still seems more likely. Going up to the maid to get the details is just and, and weird. And coming back to the maid, how unlucky was that other maid? That was her first, first day, day on the job. First day. That happens so often in these stories. Yeah. That makes you wonder, is there a connection with that? Could be. Inspector Reingruber came to suspect a man named Adolf Gump to have been involved in the killings. It was rumored around town that Gump was in a relationship with Victoria. A few years earlier, Gump was suspected to have taken part in the killings of nine peasants, along with three others, but no arrests were made. When seeking Adolf out for questioning, police were unable to locate him. Thirty years after the fact, Adolf's sister claimed on her deathbed that her brothers Adolf and Anton had been the killers of the Gruber family. The local prosecutor, Andreas Pope, immediately placed Anton into custody. He wasn't able to question Adolf, however, because he had died during the Second World War. Anton was held briefly, but he proclaimed his innocence and no evidence against him could be found. So he was eventually released and the case against him was dropped entirely in 1954. Author Bill James wrote a book called The Man from the Train, wherein he puts forth a suspect named Paul Mueller. Mueller was a German immigrant and the prime suspect and in fact, the only suspect in the 1897 murder of a family in Massachusetts. He was believed to have committed many other murders in the United States with a similar M.O. to the Hinterkaifeck murders between 1897 and 1912. That man from the train has been tied into so many stories in the States. Yes. A family slaughtered in isolation, the use of a blunt object, the moving and the stacking of bodies, 
and the lack of robbery as a motive. Mueller was also a suspect in the Velisca Axe murders, which bore a creepy resemblance and then, then was believed to have left the U.S. for his homeland in 1912. While there's no direct evidence to tie him to Hinterkaifeck, it certainly matches his M.O. This guy was doing if, – if this is the one – he was all over the place. He was and a busy he did this dude. a lot. Busy dude. There's but, a lot of famous cases that could be tied back to you know, well, but killers do have their MO. They kind of do the same shit uh over and over again, same, you know, oh, same type of things. And uh if you, I if remember you think, this, if when you think about the, the vague details of this, it is kind of somewhat of the uh, Velisca axe murders. Person hanging in the house. Oh, yeah, that one around was, that after. one was probably only the day, but they were hiding in the attic ahead of time, probably. Uh well there was a possibility the they were in the barn too. Yeah. In that one. You know, and this one had the barn out back that someone, people have been in, so. A few years after the murders in a nearby town, a stranger was said to have approached a resident near midnight and began to ask a bunch of questions about the murders. He then shouted that he was in fact the murderer as he ran off into the night. The man was never identified. No arrests were ever made, and the case was officially closed in 1955. The locals raised the house and farm not long after the murders as they found it to be too morbid to keep around. In hindsight, it seems like Andreas had ample evidence leading up to the murders that something was very amiss at the farm. Of course, we're looking at it in hindsight, but if you think about all those red flags, so the missing keys, the sounds in the attic, the footprints in the snow, the phantom newspaper, the broken lock, the dudes living in the barn. I mean, that's a lot of stuff going on right there. It's a ton of stuff going on. In hindsight, we can look back and say you missed all kinds of shit. But I think even, not just in hindsight, even at the time, he should have, his his radar should have been higher than it was. You know what I mean? There's, there's some, some freaky shit going on at your barn. It's either crazy haunted at your, your farm or you got a, someone's living you got a creeper living in your attic. And uh, I mean, this, this was going on for like six months at least. So he had ample time to act and for whatever reason, he just didn't. Uh, were the noises in the attic during the previous year the intruder frogging them from early on, or was there legitimate paranormal activity at the farm? It's hard. It's really hard to say. I mean, there was definitely somebody on the premises, but yeah, I think someone was on the premises. If there was an activity at the farm before, there almost certainly would be today. Was not only not only was the family viciously murdered, but their heads were actually removed during the aut- aut- autopsy and sent off for further research. The bodies were buried without the heads. And the heads ended up with a psychic who was not able to help. They then disappeared entirely during the turbulence of the Second World War. So, can you imagine they just would take the head I and know. then send it off? That but happened these, in another case. These are all case reasons we did that too. lead lead to like uh, hauntings. For oh, they were dramatically killed, you know, at their own farm. And then, the head then was their heads from removed, the body. bodies buried separately. The head sent off to a psychic. God knows what happens. Then they disappear. That's like all the ingredients for a haunting right there. So it definitely is. If that farm wasn't torn down, it would probably yeah, be super haunted today. For sure. So that is the sad and strange tale of the Hinterkaifeck murders. Wow. Good story. Sad. But uh, I'm still leaning towards the first guy. I, I agree. Yeah, was, uh, the, the he Lo- seems like the strongest. Loren Schlittenbauer, I think, was the guy. Yeah, he he seems like the strongest suspect to me. Uh, his kid, possible child support. Yeah, yeah. it being his kid he is a possible mo- motive. He and had a it motive. Not being his kid is a possible motive. Either way, he was an angry guy, so he's got ample motive. Yep. He had the opportunity. He had motive. He was dragging bodies. He was yeah. in the house. He lied about where he was. Yeah, he absolutely fucked up the crime scene. Yeah. 
He's got caught in several lies, entered the front door when he said he hadn't, had a key when he shouldn't have had one. Yeah, Um, for sure. Sketchy dude for sure. So if you guys have any follow-up questions, comments, anything like that, definitely hit us up at beyondtheshadows207 at gmail.com. Oh, good story, man. I really like that one. And uh, we'll uh, catch you guys in the fire pit. All right, this week's fire pit comes from Samantha, our friend over at uh, Suspended Sentence. Awesome. She, she finally got hers into us. We had done her uh, her mom Tracy's story, which was phenomenal. Hers has been one of the, the favorites. It, it's been sure. yeah. listener favorites for I mean. sure. Yeah, that one. It was a great really story. Really good. This is a good one here, too. So if you guys want to take a listen, here we go. Hey, Scott and Ryan. This is Sam from over at the Suspended Sentence podcast. I have been debating for a really long time which story I wanted to tell first for my first fire pit with you guys. And I was chatting with Tracy the other night, and it came to me on which one needed to be my first fire pit. So here we go. So for as long as I can remember, I have been having this reoccurring dream where, and I'm not sure if it's like sleep paralysis or what, (laughs) but... Every now and again, I have this dream where it's almost like an out-of-body experience where I can see myself laying in my bed. My room will always look the exact same, and it'll look the same no matter where I am. So I've had this dream staying at my mom's house, at multiple homes that I've lived in, and I will be watching myself sleep in my room where then from a dark corner of the room, a woman will appear, and she will come and she will stand at the foot of my bed. She will get there, and then she will go to, like, scream, and she won't be able to, and then I always wake up. So, scary all on its own. And I have this dream. Sometimes I have it a few times a month. month. Sometimes I will have it every now and again. It's, I mean, it varies. So, a few years ago, my husband got me an Ancestry DNA kit to kind of see like my genetics and as well as like my lineage and so I send in my saliva and get it all back and I'm building my family tree well I'm digging through and I get to like my third great grandmother on my mom's side and ancestry will give you hints on who like documents that link to that person well I click on it and I get all these pictures of this woman and I send the picture to my mom and I like I was so scared because it is the exact same woman that I have in my dreams but the thing is is my sister sometimes will have this exact same dream and we didn't figure that out until years later and so I send it to her and she's like that's the girl from my dream and I was like it's a girl from my dream too well, she died from like some cancer in her throat. I don't know. It's always freaked me out and I dread when I have those dreams. I don't know what she's trying to communicate with me, but I don't know that I want to know. So there you go. I if anybody has answers for me on what that is, let let me know. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, Scott and Ryan. I always love listening to you guys and if you're here, you're in the right spot. 
That's insane. Yeah, very. Yeah. So much happens in your dreams that you just don't know. But if they're both having the same dream, then they're certainly it's the same person, and they're able to find a picture twice over great grandmother. Uh, Yeah. So they're they're almost certainly being visited. Not the the chance of them having that same dream are about zero. But what is she trying to tell? I don't know. That's the thing. She's trying to communicate something. Is it just ancestral dream? You know, memory. I mean, a lot of stuff stored in your DNA. Yeah. So maybe you got a memory that's hers. That's. I don't know. There's so much that happens in your dream we just don't understand. Yeah. But that that's an awesome story. Thank really you, Sam. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Thank you for writing that in. If you guys want to check out their podcast, they get a great podcast, a suspended sentence. Me and Ryan are on an episode. You can go find that one, too. Uh, they do a great job. They put out a lot of content. It's definitely entertaining. So go check them out. Very good show. And we appreciate it, Sam. Thanks for sending the story in. And uh, we'll catch you guys in the next one. Later. Hi, my name is Joe, and I'm the host of Tales, Trails, and Taverns. In this show, Rob and I like to take an active approach by hiking out to haunted, creepy, and abandoned places. We love the adventure in discovering the dark history of the locations we visit. We release a new episode every Friday on Apple, Spotify, and Patreon, as well as bonus episodes on varying Tuesdays. But don't just take my word for it, we have great listeners who have left some awesome reviews. Oh, I love adventure, but during those times when I can't get to the outback, oh, I like to listen to Tales, Trails, and Taverns. Those boys dig deep into the dark history, and their first-hand experiences really delivers the excitement. This podcast is a beaut. Back when I was the governor, I didn't have time to listen to podcasts. But now that I'm retired from politics, I can focus on my two passions, pumping iron and listening to tales, trails, and taverns. It doesn't matter who we are. What matters is that we all listen to tales, trails, and taverns. I love listening to the podcast. Wait, what's a podcast again? It's an audio show you listen to. Oh, like on the radio? Sort of, yeah. Okay. I love listening to Tulips and Tiddlywinks. It's Tales, Trails, and Taverns. And what do you do again? Hike to scary places and drink beer. Sounds terrifying. Okay. I like to listen to Terrifying Tea Time, but not on the radio. Uh, okay, thank you. You did great. You're welcome. Say, so you're kind of cute. Is there a Mrs. Tales, Trails, and Taverns? Now... Now you get it? No actual celebrities or political figures have endorsed Tales, Trails, and Taverns. All the reviews you've heard were written, fully, by the host, George Lennox, as well as the impersonations of celebrities, politicians, and movie characters. I meant no harm. Please don't sue me.